Yo, what's up? Welcome back to the Business Kids Podcast. We talk to real people, not their job titles. Let's get straight to business. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we are joined by Jethro Kwan. Before we start all of this, uh, Jethro, would you like to maybe introduce yourself, a little bit of what you do and who you are? Well, first off, thanks for having me here, guys. Uh, my name is Jethro Kwan. I'm a fellow Shulik past student as well. I graduated, man. It's been too long. It's revealing my age. I uh, graduated in 2015. Um, at the time, um, when I was in school, I already started my first business, and then it just continued to go on from there. So I just, I'm, you call me, I call myself a small business owner. Okay, so I guess our first question that we wanted to ask was before Shulik, so we don't have to disclose mm-hmm. the year if you don't want to uh, age yourself. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> in an uh, undisclosed year, what we found interesting was um, even before going to Shulik, uh, mm-hmm. we read that you were a supply chain management intern at Brookfield Johnson Controls. And oh, yeah. I think grade 11, if yeah. that's how the years would work. Yeah. I guess seeing as the uh, the mere mention of internships gets uh, Shulik students salivating at the mouth, we just wanted to know, like, uh, how'd you get one before even getting to Shulik? Man, honestly, that was that was just you could call it luck. I think it's God's divine coincidence that it happened. I think like most high school students, at least the ones that are, you know, in the GTA, you know, they're they're taking core courses, especially in grade eleven, you know, you're getting ready to go grade twelve. You don't really know what you want to take, so you got a bunch of sciences, you know, math, English, all that fun stuff, right? Yeah. For myself, it's not that I was that I'm not interested in science at all. I just knew that you know I'm not interested in studying it um, as like you know my future or my career because in my opinion school kind of takes fun out of everything, right? Yeah. I don't know many people agree with that, but uh, that's for me. So I actually did something that most students don't do, which is to take um, co-op in high school. And um, my school is non-semestered, so like we would have, I'd have co-op throughout the entire year. And I think for most students, uh, especially coming from high school, um, they, you know, you'd have your typical jobs here and there, um, like part-time jobs. But even inside co-op, you wouldn't get too many good opportunities. But then I think I was lucky. Uh, my co-op teacher just really liked me. It was like, hey, man, I got this cool job for you. Um, I had no idea what this company was at the time, BLJC. I had no idea what they did. I had no idea what supply chain is. Um, and I went for it, and they took me. And the rest is history from there. Um, but it was a very, very good opportunity because I was like, what, 16 at the time? Mm-hmm. Youngest kid in the building by far. And like, I think that my next youngest coworker was like 30 or something like that, like double Damn. my age at the time. Right. Like, you know, like seriously, these guys could be aunties and uncles to me, but it was, it was awesome because like at such a young and tender age, I got to see so much. Um, and that was like my real, I didn't even realize what BLJC or how big the company was at the time. I didn't realize it was like a JV between two huge companies, um, Johnson Controls, which is a massive company, and Brookfield Properties, which is another massive company, right? I don't, I, yeah. I actually don't I, I don't know if BLJC still exists because it was a JV between the two companies. It might have like – it was constantly changing just because right. of the two parent companies, right? But um, that was that was huge. And then they loved me during the year, and I was like, they're working me like a full-timer. These full-timers probably getting paid like 30 bucks an hour. They're paying me in high school. I think I was getting like 14 bucks an hour. Now, back when I was in high school, 14 yeah. bucks an hour, my that Lord. That must have been like a lot. Money was coming out of places where like I didn't know money could come out of. <laughs> you know, everyone was making like 950 at McD's and I was rolling in like full-time hours, like 14 bucks and an hour is insane. Bro, man, got his fans up. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> so, what'd you do there? Um, now, this was this was really like my grind. 
in like office culture so like a lot of people real like if you guys get your first internship anywhere assuming that it's not like one of those you know fancy new rotational programs when you get first get into an office job you're doing like the grunt stuff you're doing filing you're doing data entry and all this stuff right especially like i was like 15 16 obviously they started me off in the filing room right and I was just so eager to work at the time because I was like, you know what? All this is new. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just going to work hard because that's the only thing you know how to do as like a 16-year-old, right? Or as a kid in general. And that's something that like um, I always look back to. It's like I want to work like a kid because kids only know how to work hard. As we get older and older as adults, we learn how to be lazy, and that's shitty. especially as you go into university i don't know if you guys could relate to that but you start to get lazy right and man being being a kid was the best because you only knew how to work hard right so like i think at the time when i got into the to the job like i think the team said they were like half a year behind in their filing obviously who wants to who wants to file anything right and then within like to do it yeah, right. Get the kid to do it. It'll keep him busy all year. And we don't have to do a single filing thing, right? I think I finished and like, it's not to gloat or anything, but I surprised them because I was just so focused on it, right? I did that. I finished all their filing in like two weeks, right? Because I was just filing all day, right? If you, Obviously, if you do your paperwork all day, like you're going to get it done, right? And then after that, they were like, oh, we got to find something for this kid to do. So they were like, hey, let's move this kid up. You're going to, no one wants to do data entry either, right? So they're like, let's get this kid to do a data entry for us. And then mm-hmm. I cleared that, I, you know, I cleared that up in maybe like a month. Like a whole bunch of backlog data entry. And they're like, oh, shoot, this kid's still got like six, seven months left <laughs> in the what school year. Like, we have to keep him busy. So then my boss, um, her name was Evelyn. She's amazing. Um, she was like, you know what, let's just, let's, let's just get him in on some real work. So what, what we were doing at the time, so supply chain is like a really fancy term. What, what we were doing is, um, our, my, my department was under supply chain, but we were in supply chain administration. So, um, what the company did was, um, they basically took care of properties for people, right? So anywhere from like a post office to like a giant office tower, we would take care of anything in or around that building, whether that be mowing the lawn, chopping down a tree, replacing an elevator, like anything to do with that building, to janitorial services even. Obviously, our company wouldn't do it ourselves. We'd hire contractors that would go in to do that work, right? So um, I was in constant contact with these contractors to make sure they're approved. They have all their... um, qualifications and then we get them get them into the buildings to do the work so everyone makes money right so that was really cool as a 16 year old because um i remember the first time i tried to talk to someone on the phone my lord that was the most awkward thing ever right it like first of all i don't know about you guys but even in my generation no one talks on the phone yeah (laughs) Yeah. Like, why would I ever call anyone? Right? We're always just texting each other. Just texting, exactly. It was like the weirdest thing to just call someone, and these these are grown adults. These are people with businesses, um, and they would not want to pick up my phone call, right? Because they they just want to get in and do the work, right? So, and then leaving voicemails and all this stuff. It's just all this office stuff that, as a six year old, I was like, what am I doing? And it was just like the scariest thing to pick up the phone. I remember because you, I wouldn't know what to say at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that that really like threw me into the fire, really. And then I really just got used to like, hey, like these are regular people too. We're just talking. It's just work, right? So I think that that really grew me up real quick. That job, amongst many other things that I saw on the job. Well, that's interesting that you mentioned that whole kind of like the kid mentality that I'm just get down there and do and do what I have to do. Yeah. Um, I remember listening to one of the alumni panels that you were actually in uh, for MGMT 1000. Mm. Uh, one of the other members saying that you got to think that you're not too good for anything type of thing. Mm-hmm, so like yeah. 
you you were saying, oh, uh, get the kid to do what Ed, what no one wants to do. So you started with that, and then slowly, um, you kind of built your portfolio, I guess, or like you just kind of built your yeah, you just prove yourself. To, yeah, you're proving yourself to do more because people you're showing that you want to do what other people can't do or what other people mm-hmm. won't do. Now that we're talking about kind of uh, doing what other people didn't want to do or things like that. Um, mm-hmm. I remember listening to you in the alumni panel and you said that I believe you worked as a sales associate for club 10 cosmetics, if mm. not mistaken. And you said that that kind of gave you um, the feel as for what a corporate job was like. How was your experience as a sales associate at club 10 cosmetics? Um, so club 10 wasn't like a corporate experience. Corporate experience was definitely mm-hmm. BLJC. Cause that was like mm-hmm. office to office. You got cubicles and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Club 10, um, is a small business, got a small storefront. Um, it's located in Scarborough, like Markham Scarborough area. Um, and it was that experience to me was something that I don't think many people let alone like young males will ever experience right so (laughs) like you you could think of it like this is that there's two sides to my job at club 10 was one was i had to be in store um and you know as a young like i think i was in what first year summer university something like that i can't even remember it's been such a long time ago um, you know, you're selling these cosmetics to a demographic that we don't learn about in business school or we don't learn about in general, right? But mm-hmm. they got boatloads of money to spend. And it was very interesting no, seeing, sorry, and sorry, this demographic is basically um, a slightly more older generation of immigrant Asian women that just got okay. money. <laughs> like they don't, you know, you know, you see rap videos of man's pulling up with like throwing cash all over the place. These ladies literally roll out like wads of cash in envelopes. Like it was stupid. And they'd come in and buy this skincare cosmetics like all the time. Right. And it was different because I'm not trying to sell them anything. They're just here to spend some time. Right. So it was, it was a great learning experience for me in the sense that Selling isn't all about like you're trying to persuade someone to buy the product, right? Like what are these customers coming into the store for? They're not literally just coming in for the skincare or like the makeup because you can buy this stuff anywhere. They're coming in to chat. They're coming in to like hang out and whatnot and just drop a couple grand every week type thing, right? It's like they're, they're a, that that's the experience that they're buying, not so much just the cosmetics, right? Mm-hmm. So that's something that, that really opened my eyes on that side of the business. It's like it's like people don't just buy things for the product itself, right? And growing up as a kid, you know, when kids spend money, it's like, oh yeah, I want that, I want that, right? Mm-hmm. But when you really think about it, when you're selling to more grown-ups or like even young adults like myself or even you guys, you guys are considered young adults. You guys start looking for experiences now. It's not just about like that product that you're paying for directly. Right. So open my eyes to like, Hey, like there's a whole different way to sell to someone other than just promoting the product. Cause it doesn't matter what I say about the skincare. You're going to buy it anyways. It just depends how much they're buying. Yeah. Right. So it was a completely different um, ball game in terms of like what I understood as sales because especially in business school when you learn about sales it's all about the product focus on the product right Mm -hmm. we don't talk much about the experience of it right or at least we don't get the chance to study it that much about the experience because like what's the experience of buying a tube of toothpaste or like buying a like i I guess buying a car is a little bit different but like we don't study like the experiential purchase of a car like a ferrari we study like you know more basic cars in business school typically speaking Mm-hmm. right so that was really cool and then the other side of it was that club 10 um actually also had like a wholesale side of business i guess um because they were like the middleman between um large companies like l'oreal that carry all these brands and like all these other small tiny asian shops so they would buy all this stuff at a wholesale price from l'oreal 
and then distribute at a smaller margin to all these smaller shops. So, you know, I was dealing with other Asian business owners as well. And trust me, you're dealing with Asian business owners is just a completely different ball game, right? I'm not going to elaborate too much on that, but there's a lot of cultural (laughs) aspects to business. And that was really eye opening as well. Also, now that you mentioned that whole situation with kind of Mm. the experience of club 10 and seeing how, these women would buy different products, but not only for the products themselves, but also for the experience. Do you think that that kind of was an eye opener towards um, Fugo Desserts and Jumpstart Academy, which are things that you've uh, started on your own as, uh, as of now? Like, um, was that something that helped you out to kind of see, for example, for Fugo, I want to create an experience rather than just sell these types of desserts? I mean, it's, it's definitely contribute. It's just like any, anything that you go through in life will always contribute to what you're doing if you make good use of it. I don't think it directly contributed. Like, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. I'm not that smart of a guy. I don't make these connections like, you know, like bang, bang, bang. Right. <laughs> but it's like, it's, it almost becomes a part of like who you are. Right. Especially as you go through these things at a younger age, it's just like, Oh, it's just ingrained in your thinking. Almost. Mm-hmm. It's not that I automatically think, Oh yeah, because Club 10, they sold experiences. That's why I'm going to create an experience at Google Desserts. <laughs> like, I did go to business school, and that sounds so good, yeah. but I hate that, that stuff. That sounds good on the resume. Like, like, yeah, business isn't actually like that. You don't just create experiences. Like, it's not as easy as that to create an experience. It, it's, it's, it's a lot of small little things that add up to become an experience. Right. So what would you say were some of those experiences or just like everyday life, just being in the hallways and shoe lake and being in like SPP and things like that. That's what kind of helped you towards. Well, for um, me, um, whenever I think about my businesses, um, I try to sell something that I buy myself. Right. Or I try to put myself into the position of the customer. Right. This is something that we actually talked about in business school is talking about the target market, although I don't think we talk about it enough. Um, Because if you understand your customer, it's done, done deal. If you know how your customer thinks and how they purchase things, then it's all good. Um, So I remember when I first started Jumpstart Academy, we were just like, okay, you know what? There's a lot of tutors on campus. York SOS was making good money at the time. Yeah. Why is it that everyone goes to them? Right? And yeah. at the time, we're, we answered it ourselves and we're like, oh, because they're the, literally the only ones around. Right? So we're like, you know what? York SOS is good when they have a good teacher. But when they don't have a good teacher, man. It's nothing. Like, not to hate on SOS, it's just... <laughs> When you don't have a good teacher, it's just not good, right? It's just, yeah. it's just what it is. So we we're like, if we could just deliver a better product, meaning better teaching, and we noticed that York SOS, you can't cover that much content in three hours, right? Right. We're just ex- going to extend it six hours, nine hours. Why don't we do a better job, right? If we can deliver a more consistent, better quality product, then we're good to go. Um, so we're just like, you know what, we'll give it a shot. And now we're here. We got Jumpstart Academy. Yeah. It is what it is now. Yeah. That's what helped me pass my, uh, my stats class, but there you we, go. Sh- we shouldn't get into that that well. <laughs> I don't want to, let's not bring up stats, uh, ever <laughs> What are some of the biggest things that you, you know, now being an entrepreneur of two companies, um, what are some of the things you would like wish you were taught in school that, you know, could have helped you now? Mm, That's really hard to say because um, you really got to experience it. That's something that's really hard about school is that it's just school. Like it's not real. Um, And until you put that theory into practice, it doesn't mean anything. You know what I'm saying? So like, kind of a segue but like this is something that we talk about a lot of the time or that I talk a lot about a lot of time so um, I'm a Christian by faith and I guess you guys know what the Bible is or whatever and you know the Bible says a lot of good stuff right exactly oh you got a big topic now look who you're now talking we're cooking 
You're talking to literally We're cooking. Jesus. We're cooking right now. We're cooking. Right? Now we're cooking. But the Bible says a lot of good stuff, but it doesn't matter if you know what it says if you can't do it in real life. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? So that's the same exact same thing with business school. Like you can talk about it all day, but until you do it in real life, doesn't mean you actually learned it, right? Exactly. So I don't know, like there's no perfect way to do this, but in my opinion, um, if the school actually wanted to produce more entrepreneurs, you could just delete all of third and fourth year, even half of second year. You don't need that schooling. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be honest I'll because like – like you, you can ask the best profs in any business school or just real entrepreneurs that have gone to business school. If all you t taught me was the first two weeks of economics, you know, first four weeks of accounting, first two weeks of marketing, finance, like that's already enough, right? That's good to go. It's just mm -hmm. that you need to know how to apply it in real life, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're preparing for a corporate job, though, then you need all that. You know, you, you need some more, you know, third, fourth year stuff, mm -hmm. right? But if you're going to become, you know, a business owner, you really just need to do the basics really, really well. Like, do I need to know how demand curves shift? No, I just need to understand there's a point where supply and demand will cross and I got to hit that for my target market, right? Yeah. And it's, it's, it sounds really simple, but when you put it in real life, like how are you going to make it work, right? Yeah, so don't get caught up in all the... Yeah, don't get caught up on all the hoopla. Yeah, yeah. exactly. As uh, Paul would say, a little Christian reference, uh, faith without works is dead, so you need to put That's that... That's what I'm saying. Faith exactly. without works is dead. So um, besides that, kind of let's segue a little bit into, I would say, Fugo. Um, mm. Obviously... <laughs> Let's shift gears a little bit with Fugo. Uh, yeah. First things first, uh, I would like to kind of note that it was featured in uh, a case competition. It was featured in Nova, uh, yeah. a case competition, a case competition, which I personally came in like dead last, but you know, that's something that <laughs> dead last. Oh, good. <laughs> exactly. You know, I didn't put that, I didn't put that knowledge into, into work. I didn't put that faith into <laughs> work. You know? uh, did she like, like come to you telling you, Hey, uh, Hey man, we want to, feature your company in in this case competition or they did just do it and they're like hey by the way this, this happened how did that work they would typically ask me it's like hey we want we, we want to do a case and we we're interested in doing it on your company would you be okay with that and yeah i'd, I'd always be down for that right it's not because i want exposure for the company but like i've been in case comps myself and when you do case comps without a real company that's current or relatable to the students, it's just, it's just kind of sucky, especially even if it's a current case for something like McDonald's or a large company like that. Like it's not relatable to students because there's, you can't even imagine it. Like it's so big, the company's so big, you cannot wrap your head around what they can possibly do next. Yeah. Right. So it's cool that, um, Fugo desserts or another small business can be um, talked about in these things because it's like, hey, like you guys could be managing this business yourselves. It's not not a terribly hard business to manage. Um, we're like a single shop, small business, so it's like something that students can actually put themselves into. It's like, hey, I could do this, right? It's not right. so far as managing like ten thousand employees type thing, right? So it's something more relatable, which I, which something that I wish I had when I was a student. What were some of the case, like the companies that you did when you were doing case comps? Were they like, I don't know, uh, uh, some like Amazon when it first came up or what was it? Um, oh man, I can't remember. It's just like, it's, that's the thing. It's not even memorable what the companies were because yeah. <laughs> it's just bullshit. Right. You're talking about a multinational corporation that people talk about every day five years ago i already know what they did next exactly why the heck am i doing a case on it right it's like i'm trying to prove the future wrong right it's like you do a case comp on like i don't know let's say blackberry or something i'm like hey the company's already dead no shit they shouldn't be investing in the phone anymore or whatever you know part of my language there but like it's all good Stuff like that. It's just like it's adding no value to it's not getting the students to think like what could happen. 
Mm. Rather go, they hit up Google, and within 30 seconds, everyone's got the same damn case answer, and it's just all about presentation <laughs> skills. Which I'm just like, hey, man, I get that it's a competition, but it's a case comp, not a presentation comp, right? Yeah, like, yeah, even if you talk about like Amazon, or even if it's current, like you said, it's like, I have no goddamn idea what I'm going to suggest to Amazon, who's yeah. like essentially another country at this point. Like, I'm not Jeff. I don't know tell them yeah like i think jeff bezos doesn't really need my help right now no jeff is a visionary <laughs> and i ain't there yet <laughs> that's the thing it's like i also think it's kind of silly how and this is just unfortunate it sounds like a rant or a complaint but a lot of the times these case comp judges they are expecting this honestly crappy cookie cutter answer and i don't like it one bit I'm just like, you're, you're trying to train our business school students to really suck out there because you're not expecting them to think out of the box. You're just like, oh, yeah, just present me this super safe answer, present well, give me a good PowerPoint, smile at me, shake my hand really well, answer some <laughs> questions, goodbye, right? Like, I, want, I want to hear some crazy. Bezos is crazy. I don't know if you guys think the same. Guys like Bezos are crazy in the best way possible, yeah. right? Like – Musk is crazy. Steve Jobs, when he was alive, insane. Yeah. Right? Like, we want our students to be thinking like that, not like every other Joe on the street, right? Like, yeah, like, they, you read all their uh, biographies or autobiographies, it's like, they did some whack shit. Like, yeah. Elon Musk talks about, like, he showered at the YMCA and he, like, slept out of his studio apartment and he, like, website up and they coded at night like they were like i mean that's just also like um i guess drive insane but like their business side of things was also just you know obviously unconventional because that's why they're breaking the market yeah yeah and also like i i remember listening to this other podcast about uh amazon and like kind of how they operate and um he wanted people to like argue with him like Jeff Bezos when he first started the company he wanted yeah. like his head just to like yell at him to argue with him in a way that he could see ways to improve the business but then he mm-hmm. also kicked people out that were not very um like they didn't see into the future like obviously if you want yeah. to just plan ahead for the next few months like you know you're not gonna get anywhere right but we need to kind of shape our, our, our students and things like that towards becoming more visionaries and looking ahead. Visionary is the word there. Very exactly. key. There's a lot of, uh, I guess, controversy or people have caught wind of, you know, all the like clickbait headlines and very like, you know, attention grabbing. Jeff Bezos will get this many more billion dollars this month or whatever the, mm-hmm. you know, whatever they put out there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are like, very angry at the concept of billionaires and like of these super wealthy people with all these you know mm. companies and everything what's your take on that like a lot of people are saying that we shouldn't applaud like jeff bezos donating 100 million because it's like the equivalent of someone dating donating 20 bucks like it's just mm-hmm. they don't donate a proportionate amount of their wealth or whatever what mm-hmm. do you think about that like the whole the whole issue with them I got to say, well, I got a lot of things to say about this. I'm going to be honest. We could talk about this all day. But um, I do think it's deserved. I don't think there is an ideal way of having an economic system. And this is something that we actually talk in business school, but not in depth again. We always say is, okay, on one side we got capitalism. On the other side we got communism. Neither one is perfect. That's what we know from business school, right? And to be honest, it is absolutely true. Um, Although I do like I I do more so believe in a capitalist society. Now, um, I do believe in billionaires, um, especially self-made billionaires. And I like to think about it in the sense that, like, if you kind of compare it back to like ancient times okay so like think back to like medieval times you got kings and dukes and all this stuff right like how do kings come to be or like dynasties come to be they got 
they got to hustle, they got to kill people, and then they become king, right? And But what usually happens after that? The problem is they give birth to the next guy and they kind of mess everything up. That's the issue that I have with current day wealth, right? Is that I don't mind people self-making themselves a billion dollars, but when you inherit it and then it's just chilling there, then we got a problem, yeah. right? Because these guys yeah. don't know what to do with this money, right? Because you think about the current, you know, the current most popular billionaires, they're not, they're, 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 sorry, they're, they're the self-made ones, right? You know, you guys, hmm. you got guys like Jeff, you guys he's got guys like Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, whatever, right? All these guys. And they are all about giving the money away, right? Especially the ones that are getting older and older and older, right? You know, like Gates and Buffett and whatnot. Guys like Jeff, I actually want them to hold on to it as much as possible because they're like guys like Jeff, they're visionaries and they're what I consider to be like a modern day king. You want them to hold on to that in their prime as much as possible because they can actually do so much with it. Mm. You know what I'm saying? They, they can like, I think we can all agree here. Jeff is crazy, but he's a visionary, yeah. right? Yeah. And if you give a visionary more assets and more capital, they're going to be able to do more with it. And he's got a proven track record. I think we can all see that, mm-hmm. right? So the more that you give to guys like him, then the more they can do, right? But I don't believe in like the second generation of just like you know inheriting billions of dollars. I also don't believe in giving your kids nothing. I think you should give your kids something. But unless your kid can actually stack up to be almost as good as you, I don't think they should get the entire thing, the entire pot, which is kind of what guys like Gates uh, and Buffett are kind of setting themselves up to be, right? It's like, you know, they've done it. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure their kids are super smart, but they are not meant to be people managing billions of dollars. And they're smart people. They know that. They're going to take care of their family for sure. But that wealth should be invested or put into the hands of people that know what they're doing. Right? So I do believe that self-made billionaires do. That definitely should be a thing. You should get more and more and more. Right? Given that, um, like, way of thinking, what's your, like, take on, say, people who have acquired wealth through – like say unconventional, like unconventional ways of like acquiring wealth and fame and things like that. Like say, for example, around the bushes. What do you uh, mean? For example, yeah. Are we talking about drugs yeah. or what are we talking about? No, no, no. Like, okay. Either drugs or say, for example, like say like uh, Kim Kardashian and like things like that. Like people that have like gained, first of all, the public eye through, mm-hmm. I guess, unconventional ways such as like sex tapes and things like that. And then mm-hmm. um, like, they just kind of, uh, went with the flow and then they became who they are today right like mm-hmm. would you consider people like i guess kylie jenner or kim kardashian like self-made yeah millionaires or are they just people that have in a way inherited some sort of wealth to where they are today well this is the thing though acquiring massive amounts of wealth um it takes a certain amount of you could say luck or just divine appointment mm-hmm. okay and I could tell you, um, I'm well. I'm not a billionaire myself, but I'm sure every every single billionaire will tell you it's like, yeah, they worked their asses off, but like you know, they were at the right place at the right time, a couple of times even, and that's how they got as rich as they got today. Like I'm sure they would still tell you, yeah, I'd still be like really rich, but. Like how I got to this multi-billionaire status, that was like multiple times of luck at that point, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, and that's the thing. A a lot of people, I'm I'm not saying like, sorry, what was your question more so like (laughs) do guys that kind of like luck into their wealth, do they deserve it? Is that more so the question? I guess like 50-50, like would you put people, I guess how Jesus was saying with the Kardashians or like Mm -hmm. people who come with like, you know, not necessarily the business ideas that Musk and Bezos are putting out, but like mm-hmm. they've also come into that much money. Are they on the same level of self-made for you? Um, 
in that sense, yes. Would I be willing to dump more into their pockets? Probably no. So let, let me kind of explain what that means. Is that like whatever money they made, yeah. Like by luck, I'm sure they worked hard because they definitely are working hard, right? Um, they got there, right? Would I give them 10 times or even 100 times more of their wealth to use for the world? Maybe not those guys, mm -hmm. right? You, you, you see the difference that I have with them, with them versus guys like Jeff? Yeah. It's like they've self-made, but then what I think they can do with the money is different than what I think. Exactly. It's, it's, it's yeah. different. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm sure they do philanthropic things as well, but Jeff isn't as concerned about giving away money as he is about spending the money in ways that would change the world per se. I guess going back to it, you know, we're talking about business. We're talking about those guys on their career. You know, I guess bringing it back to you, just curious, what would you say was kind of the whole backstory and inspiration behind starting your uh, Fugo business? Like, you know, what went into that? Why did you do it? I mean, to be honest, um, food is a horrible idea from a business point of view. I'll tell you why. <laughs> so, um, so I graduated having Jumpstart Academy already. And, you know, Jumpstart Academy was making good money. It didn't take too much time and expenses were low. So I was like, what, 22, 23 years old. I had some savings. I had way too much time. What am I going to do next? I wasn't about to go find a full-time job after that, right? Mm -hmm. So I was like, hey, what could I do with this time? I got a little bit of money. I'm like, oh, damn, people making good money off selling ice cream. I think I could do better than them. Kind of like the Jumpstart idea. And I was like, you know what? Let's do it. Right. So I started it. Horrible idea, by the way, guys, because I've never been in the food business before. It's a completely different ball game because fixed expenses and all this stuff are completely different from tutoring space or education space. Um, I started off really well um, because, you know, I got that marketing background, like, you know, all the business school stuff. I knew how to create an experience per se, but I didn't know how to transition out of it. I didn't know enough about the industry. I didn't know enough about staffing or just all that stuff, right? I didn't understand the seasonality of the food food industry or the hospitality industry or like how the hospitality industry can make more money other than just people walking through your front door, right? So I was not well educated with the business at the time, right? So I did, we did amazing for the first like couple months, like unbelievable. And then the first winter just absolutely destroyed us. I can be honest with you. And the, the company was headed very, very downward until like we turned it around by the grace of God. Um, when we brought out the mini donuts and everything. And that's when I started to understand it's like, okay, I got to push out a product that people can relate to North America. Who doesn't love a donut, right? <laughs> I got to push out a product that's not seasonal. People eat donuts all year round. Every time, yeah. Right. I got to push out a product that doesn't only sell at night for dessert. People like donuts in the morning, for lunch, <laughs> every... afternoon, stack all day. You know what I'm saying? Looking at that, um, it's definitely like a hard industry and like food itself, like oh, restaurants yeah. wise is stupid small margins. Like killer. You're always on the knife edge. But I guess a two-part question is one what advice would you give to um people looking to start their own business in general and then i guess two specifically what advice would you give to uh i guess people trying to go into the food industry you gotta do your homework for sure and you gotta understand what you're getting into um if you're going in the food industry you're going to want to go low overhead first and overhead is a big fancy business school term, but overhead is just fixed expenses, really, right? Rent, huge killer in the food industry. Um, you gotta understand wastage for yourself. You understand understand how labor is gonna affect you. Understand when to spend and invest your money. So I gave you a couple examples. Um, obviously, rent is a double-edged sword because. Um, 
if you pay high rent, you're probably in a hot area and there could be more volume, right? But if you don't hit that volume, you're dead. It's just simple as that, right? Um, labor, Canada sucks, right? Um, I've done a little traveling in my life and I could tell you expenses across the board in F&B, so food and beverage across the world, is about the same except when factoring in labor. Yeah. So like, um, especially in more developing countries, uh, let's say you go to like Thailand or something, right? If you're just looking at costs in terms of like rent, utilities, um, you're looking at things like food costs, like, you know, buying ingredients and stuff like that. It's very comparable to that of in Toronto, actually. The only defined factor that changes all that is labor, right? We're paying like what, 14 bucks an hour after all that, funky government stuff you're paying like 16 17 bucks an hour for minimum wage mm -hmm. right whereas in asia to me it's practically like free they're getting paid like less than two bucks an hour yeah right so mm -hmm. it's completely different um in that point so in canada whenever you can invest in some sort of machinery to save on labor you do it do it right um something cool um, you you got to take a look at what all these fast food giants are doing, right? So you guys grew up more so in an age when McDonald's started to use the kiosks, right? Yeah. When I first saw the kiosks, my Lord, I was like, wow, this is genius. Because McDonald's used to have four cashiers, and each cashier is getting paid minimum wage, minimum wage, um, except people don't just work at McDonald's eight hours a day. They're operating for like 16, maybe 24 hours a day, right? So like at mm -hmm. minimum wage, 14 bucks an hour, that's like almost 30 grand full-time salary, but you're working double the hours. So that's like 60K per cashier per year. Nowadays, McDee's only have one cashier, so they cut three guys. It's like 180K per year that they're saving wages there. Yeah. And I think they said buying a kiosk was like, I didn't even care how much buying a kiosk was. How much could it possibly cost? Like 20, 50 grand? Mm -hmm. One-time cost, maybe cost you like two to five grand a year to maintain it. Genius. Four or five cashiers. Genius. Exactly. You guys can do the math, but it's genius. <laughs> yeah. Right? So those are things that you got to start thinking about. Obviously, when you start off, you're not a giant like McDee's, but you kind of have to get into that mindset, right? Things that you can shave off because it's a business. It's not just fun games anymore, right? Right. So um, in the food, also, it's just like understanding food costs and all that stuff. So like you got to understand what the industry is at. So like as an example – like I don't even understand why people are in the food business sometimes because I hear about some of my friends or people that I know about, you know, running like franchises and stuff. And like you guys know what margins are? So margin is just like a percentage of your sales, right? So for every $100 in sales you make, how much of that is going to labor, um, food costs, rent, whatever, right? They're saying like on average, like for a good franchise, you're spending like 30 to 35% on labor. I'm just like, bro, what the heck? How are you making any money? Yeah. Right. That's why I always, whenever I walk into a place, I'm just like, "Hey, how is this place making any money? They got too many staff." Yeah. Right. It doesn't even make any sense. Just to kind of continue off of that, the food mm -hmm. industry and all of what's happening with food desserts and things like that. You said that obviously you hit like a plateau. You were going down, and then you mm -hmm. introduced the donuts, and then you started going back up. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, the elephant in the room with all of this is COVID. The food industry is obviously going to take a massive hit. When it comes to COVID, how people see their food, how people like, interact with it. How do you see both your business, uh, Fugo Desserts, as well as just the food industry altogether? How do you see themselves? How do you see the industry itself um, adapting to this in the sense well, of like, how are they going to be successful? Something that I always believe in is every season is a season for growth as long as you're willing to go for it and hustle. Um. COVID was blessed, man, from a business point of view. I'm not going to lie. Okay. <laughs> How so? Huh? That's, that's all I can say. God has been good uh, to me, and COVID was blessed from a business point of view, not from, from a, of you know. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Of know, course. A world point of view. Okay. I just want to make that very clear. I did not wish COVID upon the world, but God's been good to me. And. From a business point of view, COVID has been very good to me. I'm not going to elaborate too, too much on that. But all I can say is that there are very evidently clear winners 
um, in COVID and you could really see who wanted it bad. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's not to say it was like smooth sailing the entire way through business in COVID because there's definitely some really crappy times for every operator. No one was just like straight up rocking in business. It was just like, it was a huge dip for sure. I can guarantee you that. But the people that were really hustling and fighting are alive and kicking and they are not stopping. It's like you hear, and with all this extra government assistance, God is good, man. <laughs> Trudeau's blessing it up. So that CRB money coming in clutch for everybody, not just me, I see. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> On this uh, discussion, I know you mentioned like, you know, you got to want it bad, you got to hustle, you got to do all these things. Mm. Even when you're talking about your old jobs, you know, I was there and I was just doing work because, you know, the kid, Mm. like you said, I guess just maybe a slight shift, but I'm curious, you know, you're advocating for hustling, working hard and before, during and after Schulich for you, you know, what's your take on work-life balance and kind of when do you stop the hustle? So this is a thing that I also need to talk about when comparing to be like children, because children don't just know how to work hard. If anything, the only thing kids need to do is have fun. Think about it. Back when you were a kid, what is the only thing you had to do? Just go have fun. Yeah. Right. And you know, I don't mean to always bring it back to the Bible, but I am a man of faith and, you know, it is on my mind a lot. Like Jesus talks about, Jesus talks about our, you know, how we got to be more like kids. We got to have childlike faith. And there's something magical about being a kid is that you're able to be like, if you're thinking like a child as an adult, we label you as crazy, Right. But there's something about that like crazy faith or those crazy dreams or that crazy hustle that brings to the next level, you know? So I don't want to just say that, that like being a kid work hard, right? Because at the end of the day, kids, obviously they know how to work hard, but more than that, they know how to have fun and they know how to dream big, right? And sorry, going to the point of work-life balance is that um, it is important. Don't get me wrong. Work-life balance is really important. Um, do I think that's just capping your work at 40 hours a week or 60 or 80 or even 100 hours a week? I think that's a balance in your work schedule. So as an example, your work can't completely be like physical labor. Your work can't just completely be sitting at a computer all day. Your, your work's got to be balanced in itself first. Right. So it's got to be a good balance of using your brain, using your body, um, talking with people, being by yourself that you got to balance out first as well. Because if you only work at one thing, you're going to burn out because you're you, you feel like you can only do one thing. Right. So it's very important for you to understand, um, even from a work point of view, you have to balance out your work and then you have to loop life in, which then is additional hurdles. Right now. What does that mean to you when you loop life in? Because that's different for everybody. I can tell you for a fact, most people that work full-time jobs, for them, life is going out, drinking, whatever, spending money, right? For me, life is just sometimes I just want to sleep in a little bit. I want to hang out with my parents. I want to catch up with my brother. I want to hang out with my cousins. I want to see my friends right? I don't need to be blowing money or doing tons of things, but it's nice to have that just like rejuvenation time. I go to church, right? It rejuvenates me in such a way that, um, to be honest, if I was going to go get plastered at rebel, it would not be the same because I'm going to feel shittier the next day, (laughs) right? Than I do from coming back from just hanging out with my parents who are going to feed me well, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, um, that, that's important. Like if you're talking about work-life balance, make sure, cause if work is taking so much out of you, make sure life is actually recharging you and not taking more out of you. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's a good, that's a so good think about it like that life, sh- like when you're talking about work-life balance, obviously work does drain you. So don't make it such that life is going to drain you even more. 
So like with this balance and like, yeah, I agree. Like it needs to be not just go, 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 clock out. Okay. Let's, you know, mm -hmm. get drunk or let's do whatever the hell. Mm -hmm. um, and I agree with that mentality. The one thing I'm curious is, yeah. you know, you started, um, sorry, you started Jumpstart Academy earlier and then now yeah. Fugo and you have this whole mentality. Did you, would you say you always had that or like, you know, at least for a long while had that or was it something you realized like, you know, you'd start the business and realize, you know, wait a minute, I'm kind of running myself into the ground here. Let's take it back. Yeah, hundred percent. Like you, you learn as you go because you don't really learn how to manage burnout until you've burned out a couple of times, <laughs> to be honest. Right. It's kind of just like, I don't know if you guys have played sports competitively or competitively or anything, but you don't really learn how to conserve your energy or use your energy properly until you don't got no energy no more. Yeah. Right. So it's, I mean, life is all about experience and it's part of the journey really. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm a type of person that, like, you know, I don't want to think of anything that's happened in my life as a regret, right? Everything does happen for a reason, right? And something genius that our boy James in the Bible says is that all these trials and tribulations, all these tests that we get in life, it just helps mold us into, you know, who we're going to be in the future, mm -hmm. right? That's That's going – and that – kind of segueing back to what I said I don't believe that people should inherit billions of dollars because they haven't gone through it right they haven't been through the struggle to get there mm. right not that their parents can't take care of them but it's just like should they be the ones having the majority of it if they can't take care of it you know that's a question for debate amen amen <laughs> <laughs> so um I just wanted to ask you now that, you know, you've uh, mentioned a couple of times when it comes to like, uh, you rejuvenate in a way through these activities, such as mm. hanging out with your parents, going to church and things like that. Outside of the business perspective, do you uh, volunteer at say like a, a church or anything like that? Or is it just like, uh, do you just go there to kind of like rejuvenate and uh, spend time with uh, Jesus in a way or God or whatever? Mm. Um. I have served, served as like, you know, a youth leader or whatever they call it in church before. Um, I've, I've done it for a long while, actually. Um, but this is where you really got to understand um, your place in the world, right? And your mm -hmm. purpose and your path in life. Um, volunteering feels good, man. Like, I love yeah. being able to service other people. It's just like, there's just something innately in humans, I think, like when, when we're able to genuinely help other people out, it, it just brings joy into your life, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, I haven't been born with what a lot of people call like a shepherd's heart in the sense mm -hmm. that like, to put it bluntly, I don't care about people enough. That sounds really harsh, but it's like, <laughs> I'm not really like a, I'm not someone that like pastors someone or like, Right. is just hanging out with that person like all the time, right? You can kind of yeah. think of me more as like, you know, a consultant style okay. person where it's like, if you need me, call me up. I'm going to hit you with it. Yeah. I'll help you out because, you know, I'm always there for my friends and family if they need me. But like, otherwise, I'm not going to be constantly bugging you about things or chatting you up. I'm not, it's not, it's just not who I am, right? Yeah. But if you hit me up, message me or whatever, um, we'll pick up right up right where we left off right that that's how um all my friends and i like communicate right it's like even if i haven't seen him for six years we go grab dinner or lunch or whatever and it's like we're still back in like grade five or something like that mm. and that, that 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 that's just naturally who i am and because like, i feel like my time is better spent on um the business and different things other than constantly being in that like volunteer position it's not that i think volunteering is a waste of my time but um there are better ways that suit my time and there are better people to be in those um volunteer capacities than i am just a quick follow-through um that's yeah honestly like i mean my brother my brother is actually a uh a youth ministry or whatever it is yeah. called him. so i, I kind of have an idea of how that 
goes. So I just wanted to ask mm-hmm. you, uh, I know that from my brother's experiences, being a youth minister, you always have like those people that you don't know exactly vibe with. So like when you're working on like say a different project or anything like that, there's like mm-hmm. button heads or like, oh, you want to put up this specific event. So your experiences as a youth leader, how do you think they've uh, shaped you towards managing Fugo or, or Jumpstart Academy, which obviously uh, at first year, I'm pretty sure you ran it by yourself and then slowly you branched mm-hmm. off into having more of a team. So how does that compare, I would say? Yeah, um, honestly, it, it is very, very difficult to be a leader. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very hard to lead anything, really, especially for an extended period of time. How do I put this? Um, whether it be from a workplace environment or in a church or, you know, even in school, you're always dealing with people, right? And um, it's always easy to point fingers at other people. It's always easy to blame or make excuses and all this stuff. And I'm not saying I don't do any of that stuff because I ain't Jesus, right? Like I ain't perfect and I do make mistakes, but that's one important thing that I learn and I'm still continuing to learn is that when you messed up, you do have to apologize genuinely and you do need to try and make changes in your life because that's what leaders will do, right? Because if leaders make mistakes, then they they have to be the first to acknowledge it because otherwise you're being a hypocrite and no one follows a hypocrite. I think you guys can all agree with that. Right. Um, so that that's one thing. It's and it's like that that part of it is like humbling yourself. And the other thing is is to learn how to communicate with other people. And this we're always trying to get better at this, whether that be like Shula school projects, you're working a part time job, internship, church, business, whatever, even just walking down the street or going to buy something at McDee's, you're always trying to communicate with people. And or you're dating someone or with your parents, man, like there's so much room for miscommunication. And that's where I found that um, to be a real leader, you need to understand who you're trying to communicate with and how that message is going to get to them. Kind of think of it as like a target market type thing. How am I going to get this message across? How am I able to extend a hand of help and to work with these people because i'm like if if you want to make real change happen at school at work for your business in your family you're gonna you can't do it by yourself right Mm -hmm. you need the help of other people and you need to get them on the same path as you and it's all about communication and man communication i'm learning about more and more every single day it is so hard and especially in the church context is even harder because you're not paying them. You know what I'm saying? If I'm paying you, (laughs) if I'm paying you, you know, there's always a reminder I'm paying you. That's why you're here. Right. But quote unquote church is free. Right. Yeah. So it's just like, why am I listening to you? Right. And (laughs) another problem with um, being young and you want to be a leader is that sometimes you butt heads with people that are older than you. Yeah. And that is so hard because, you know, you do want to respect them as someone as older than you, but it's like, Hey man, you, <laughs> it's complicated. It's so, yeah. so complicated. I've been in this church for 25 years and I'm like, yeah, just trying to help out. <laughs> That's the thing sometimes is that like, um, you got to understand there's some times where I think, especially in the church context, um, there's so much tradition involved in it, which is good and bad at the same time. Um, but um, it prevents a lot of younger kids that want to help make real change um, from coming forth. Whereas it's different in business because it's just like money talks, right? Whereas there's people don't like tying that into the church. So it's just all about seniority a lot of time, which is too cool. I guess, yeah, I will hop back quickly over the church discussion we just had. But, you know, as a question, I don't think we covered as much. And Mm. I don't know exactly, you know, how busy you are with each of your businesses right now and how things Mm -hmm. are going like that. But 
I just had a general question of what is your kind of typical week or day look like between like splitting time between the two businesses and also taking care of yourself? Like, you know, how much do you work on each? It, it really depends on the season because man, at the beginning of COVID, dude, it was horrible. It was just all work. There was no life. <laughs> I'll be honest. Right. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do at the time. Right. Nowadays, I'm more so back down to like, I don't know, maybe I'll be downtown like 40 hours a week type thing. And then I still got a ministry of duties. I got a plan and got to have meetings. I got to do R&D, um, all that stuff on the side. Right. But it really I mean, sorry to not give you an exact answer, but it really does depend on the time of season or what type of season that you're in, right? Because yeah. when push comes to shove, you got to do the work because if you ain't going to do it, who's going to do it, right? Um, but there, like, there, there are going to be some seasons where I do try to give myself more of a break, um, like right now, as we're – or just for the past little bit um, – and by giving myself more of a break, it's not that, you know, I'm just sitting at home doing nothing. It's that I'm not as focused on one thing and I'm more back to the balancing factor. It's like I'm spending some time on physical labor, some time on mental, some time on planning, you know, just like evening things out because that's the way it should be, right? Rather than only doing one thing, right? I remember at the beginning of COVID, I was just downtown like, I don't know, like, 80 hours a week plus I don't even I don't even know how many hours I was downtown at that point yeah. right trying to figure things out on the road driving delivering whatever that needed to be done for the business mm-hmm. all right thank you for listening thank you once again Jethro for being a part pleasure, of the podcast guys. I think we had a pretty good discussion here thank you so much